This is the Irrelevant Information Podcast, a podcast about finding the deeper meaning of seemingly useless information. I'm Rodrigo Nunez, and today's episode is Roman Grosjean Knows People Don't Forget. George Lopez was one of my favorite comedians when I was in high school. On one particular bus trip to Dallas from El Paso, I listened to the entirety of Team Leader, which is one of his comedy albums, from beginning to end probably like four or five times. And here's the thing, I didn't even own a CD player. I took a CD player from a kid, Mark Rosales, and wasted all of his batteries memorizing Team Leader by George Lopez. So shout out Mark. <laughs> anyway, since then, George Lopez hasn't reached the same heights, but Earlier this year, he released a special on Netflix and I watched it, mostly out of respect for the past and because I'm always kind of hoping that he can recapture that team leader spark of how funny that was. Um, and his new special was fine, I guess. There's one bit though that really got a chortle out of me. In the bit, George talks about how Mexican nicknames for kids tend to be ruthless, how they'll highlight your worst qualities or lowest points. Now, he has a similar bit in Team Leader, but in this one, his bit goes into saying, if you crap your pants once, you're nicknamed Kaka for the rest of your life. You can be a grown man, but you're still Kaka. Then he acts out how people talk about this guy, you know, Kaka. Like, hey, did you hear Kaka's getting married? <laughs> it's it's funny. It's the best bit in the in the special, like I said. It doesn't get that good after that, but... It points out how so many times our worst moments can go on to define us and it's genuinely hard to live them down. Another time that this is illustrated so brilliantly is in one of my favorite movies, Superbad, where Jonah Hill's character reminds Dave Franco's characters that he peed his pants in second grade, to which Dave Franco says, it was second grade, man. And Jonah Hill says, people don't forget. And yeah, people don't forget. I think these sort of things happen frequently in normal life, especially when we're young and especially when if you're Mexican like I am. But it's another thing when a big mistake you commit professionally goes on to define your career. Kind of like how Ryan from The Office, even after he was VP at the company, is still called Fire Guy by a lowly office accountant. But I mean, that wasn't so bad. Imagine screwing up at work so bad you don't get fired, but everyone knows you're a screw up. You're like caca, right? You peed yourself and they remind you every day, figuratively speaking. That would suck, wouldn't it? Now imagine if your job wasn't selling paper or being a team leader or whatever, but it was driving one-of-a-kind carbon fiber custom-built race cars that hundreds of people worked on and cost hundreds of millions of dollars, and everyone knew and expected you to crash and mess up again every time. If you can imagine what that's like, then you can imagine why Roman Grosjean was a mess. I love Formula One. I know for most Americans, racing is a weird sport to be into. It's either seen as rednecky and boring, i.e. NASCAR, or just boring, which I guess Formula One falls into. But believe me, Formula One is anything but boring. It's the perfect combination of a geek, technology-obsessed hobby and like a sport. Like I said at the top, each car of the 20 on the grid is totally handmade from the ground up. Every car is unique. 
they all look similar because they all follow the same regulations, but everything from the suspension to the nose, the wings, the tail, the mirrors, the intakes, the hydraulic pump placement, the rims, the brake ducts, everything on the cars is uniquely made by each team, and they're not cheap. The cheapest team has a budget of $120 million. The most expensive spends almost $500 million with more than 1,000 employees working on the car. And these cars are absolute monsters. Their engines are another feat of engineering because they're tiny. They're 1.6 liter turbo V6 hybrids. That's really, really small. For reference, a Prius engine is 1.4 liters. So the engine on the fastest race cars in the world is only 0.2 liters bigger in displacement. For reference, a Mustang's engine is five liters. <laughs> but these engines, the Formula One engines run so well and so Tightly, they generate somewhere around a thousand horsepower. But the cars aren't just outright fast because of the engines. All those millions of dollars in engineering make it so that these cars can accelerate and decelerate faster than any other race car category in existence. The wings on the car produce so much downforce when the car is running along the track that drivers can take corners at incredible speeds. In fact, cars are heavier in motion than when they're not moving. <laughs> The craziest thing or one of the craziest things about these cars is that they really only work if you go fast. Otherwise, the tires, for example, won't have heat in them and won't grip the track. Neither will the brakes and the aerodynamics won't be able to squeeze the car on the ground. So, for example, let's say you're approaching a hairpin turn or like a U-turn. The car needs to take it at like 120 miles an hour. Otherwise, it won't turn. So if you're going on this U-turn at 80 miles an hour, which is really, really fast, the car won't turn and you'll go straight into the wall and you'll crash. That's insane, right? You have to drive them fast, otherwise they don't work. And these monster cars are piloted by actual human beings who lay down in this carbon tub with their butts millimeters off the ground, messing with a steering wheel that has more knobs than the control panel of the Saturn V, adjusting brake biases and fuel mixtures for every specific corner while experiencing up to 6G and flooring the gas pedal while their car screams through turns because otherwise they won't turn and their necks holding their heads up for dear life. Also, there's no anti-lock brakes on these cars, just I can't imagine the work that these guys put into driving these things around these circuits for hours at a time. So then you take those teams spending millions of dollars to build those monstrous cars and stick drivers in them to try and tame them and go around the world's best race circuits where they race and try to cut milliseconds off their lap week after week by tinkering with the cars endlessly. And that's Formula One. It sounds exciting, right? It's not just turning left. It's, it's, it's so much more and it's so involved and it's so intricate and it's so insane. And it's a really cool thing to watch. I think Drew McGarry of formerly Deadspin and now Defector put it best when he went to Barcelona earlier this year for preseason testing and he wrote about what it was like to experience these cars and what these teams do. So I'm going to read directly from his piece that I'll link in the show notes. He says, quote, I watched the 2020 McLaren do lap after lap around the track, forever in pursuit. The course is constantly testing the cars, providing new reams of data to sort through with each successive lap. 
I am watching competitive derivatives out there, with each team ruthlessly attempting to make their rate of acceleration a micron higher than the other guy's rate of acceleration. This is a contest for the highest speed of progress. It's a pursuit that will likely never end even if it remains in force hiatus at the moment. But there's a purpose in that futility now, isn't there? Sometimes the pursuit is the point, even if you never chase down your quarry. End quote. That's Formula One. It's an endless pursuit, trying to shave microns or get microns ahead of the other teams. It's so fun. It's so high stakes. It's on the bleeding edge and milliseconds make the difference. So I think then you'd understand why crashing one of these machines is such a big deal. So now, all of that background was required for us to talk about the protagonist of this story, a man by the name of Romain Grosjean. Hi, I'm Romain Grosjean, RCF1 team driver, car number eight. Romain Grosjean is a 34-year-old Frenchman who has been a Formula One driver for 10 years and currently races for the Haas team, which is the only American team in Formula One. It's not a very good team, especially this year, but it's one of only 10 Formula One teams in the whole world, so that's something. Like all Formula One drivers, or really any top-level athlete at any sport, Roman has insane amounts of talent, but has also been racing for a significant time. He started racing professionally at the age of 16 in a series called Formula Lista Junior, then later the Formula Renault series. In 2005, he made the jump to Formula 3 and won his second driver's championship there, then moved to GP2, or what's now called Formula 2, in 2008, winning the Asia series driver's title there. He did so good that the next year, he got called up to the Formula 1 team for Renault, after one of the drivers got dropped from the team after he failed to meet performance expectations. But really, because a year before that driver purposely crashed into another, but that's a whole other podcast episode. So yeah, Grosjean gets called up and in his first ever Formula One race, Roman Grosjean was only 0.323 seconds slower than the other guy driving the same car as him which just so happened to be two-time Formula One world champion Fernando Alonso. So yeah, each team has two cars. They tend to run them with the same spec. So the best comparison is to test the guy that's driving the other car. They should have about the same time, but usually that's when you can tell who's really good, who's really bad, because it's two guys in the same car. If one of them's a second faster than the other guy, why do you think that is? And Roman Grosjean gets called up in his first ever race, in Formula One, and he's only 0.3 seconds slower than a champion. That was amazing. So if the story ends here, it's a great story, right? Young guy works his way up, comes into a team that's sinking, and outperforms expectations. What a hero. Except Roman Grosjean was fired after that first half year in Formula One. The team didn't want him. They didn't think he was good enough. They didn't like his attitude. That's because Roman is a naturally shy guy, but he's French. So a shy French guy kind of looks like an arrogant dude. So the team thought he was arrogant. He reached the pinnacle of motorsport and then got told he wasn't a good fit. So he got let go. He got fired. And Roman thought that was it. He thought, I'll go to Paris. I'm done racing. I'll take up cooking. I'll become a chef. Except... At the ripe age of 21, all of the chef schools in Paris told him he was too old to be a French chef. So what to do now? He was offered a drive in GT1, 
You know, this is the same type of cars that came out in that movie, Ford versus Ferrari, except, you know, in the modern era. In fact, Roman drove a Ford GT, like the movie Ford versus Ferrari. But I mean, it's a step down from F1. Still, he took it. Then he actually went back to Formula 2 or GP2 for the year 2010. Then for the entirety of the 2011 season, he stayed in GP2 which is, again, below Formula One. But he won the whole thing. He was the champion in 2011. The next year, a miracle happened. He got a seat in Formula One. Now, there's only 24 seats in F1, and usually once you fail out, you don't get back in. So this is actually a miracle. I'm not exaggerating when I say that. Not only was he back in Formula One, he was back with the same team that fired him three years before. That same team that thought he was too arrogant and not good enough actually hired him back. And 2012 started off great for Roman. In the first race of the year in Australia, he outqualified his teammate, who was a former world champion as well, a Finnish guy by the name of Kimi Raikkonen. By the third race of the year, he finished third and became the first French driver to finish in the top three since 1998. Three races later in Canada, Roman finished second. Four races later, after that, he got another podium in Hungary. He had some weird crashes in Monaco, but the story then really changed when the Belgian Grand Prix came around. Now, the racetrack at Belgium is one of the most iconic racetracks in the world. You can tell it's iconic because it's known by one word only, Spa. At Spa, Romain Grosjean qualified ninth, so he started on the fifth row. There's two cars per row behind Lewis Hamilton. Soon after the starting line at Spa, there's a really, really tight right-hander. So at the start, Roman tried to dive and beat the cars ahead of him to that right turn, except he pushed just a little bit too hard and squeezed the car in front of him towards the wall, and the cars touched wheels, and both of them lost control. Right side, away we go. That is a brilliant start from Maldonado. He's already passed Raikkonen, who's passed Kobayashi, he was a bit sluggish. And there's Lewis Hamilton slewing into the wall. And oh dear, Roman Grosjean and Fernando Alonso and Lewis Hamilton all coming to grief at the source. Roman crashed into the back of another car and was sent flying into the air, landing on top of another car, his ex-teammate, Fernando Alonso's Ferrari. And he actually missed landing on Alonso's head only by a few inches, so that could have been disastrous. While the car he first collided with crashed into another car in front of him, and then also into the Ferrari that Grosjean had just crashed into. It was a massive accident right at the start of the race. There was carbon fiber everywhere, millions of dollars wasted, and Fernando Alonso's championship hopes dashed. Four cars were totally wrecked, while two more had to pit for repairs. The regulating body deemed this a very serious offense. They deemed it dangerous driving and a massive error in judgment on behalf of the driver. Roman was fined 50,000 euros and was actually suspended for the next race. He wasn't allowed to race. Now, it really was one of the scariest, biggest accidents I've seen in Formula One and maybe the biggest of that season. But Roman paid his fine, served his suspension, and came back. When, two races later, in Japan, on another first lap, Grosjean had a lapse in judgment yet again, went for a gap that simply wasn't there, and rammed into the Red Bull car of experienced driver Mark Webber, taking himself and Webber out of the race. gets squeezed out a bit by Perez, then the track narrows down, then he hits Mark Webber. And there was just nowhere for Grosjean to go as the track narrowed down even Mark Webber called him a first lap nutcase. First lap nutcase again, Grosjean. 
and all the other drivers and, uh, agreed. Yeah. Grosjean was a crazy, dangerous man on the first weekend, lap. It didn't help that three races later, the same thing happened again. And then also, on the last race of the year, he crashed out again. People didn't trust him on the opening lap. Drivers were wary and scared, and fans, ignorant fans, made a meme of Roman. They turned his entire career into a meme. It was the easiest thing to say, <laughs> Roman crashed, lo, 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 lo. And he clearly never reached the performance of that first part of the year again. The noise got to him. He was in a dark place. And it was actually kind of sad to see the before and after of Roman. In fact, it wouldn't have been a stretch to say he was the most disliked driver on the grid after that. And he could have very easily quit or been fired. It was a low, low point. Despite all the crashing though, Roman kept his job. And next year he was back in a Formula One car. Could have been easy for him to stay down, but actually in 2013, Roman had a better year than 2012. In 2013, he had six podium finishes and near the end of the year shifted from being the number two driver on his team to the main driver on his team, all because he persevered and sought help. He actually went to a sports psychologist. In an interview with The Guardian, Roman said the following about his success in 2013 and overcoming the stigma of being a screw-up. Quote, it's just the work I do at home, the psychologist's work. Everything is in the head. When you get to Formula One, you have proven you are a very good and talented driver. Once you get here, what makes the difference is the head. End quote. When talking about Spa 2012, he said the following, quote, There were a little bit too much mistakes. Then the Spa story came out. Everyone bit me, which doesn't make it easy to drive or feel good. I have been through very difficult times. All that has helped me to improve myself. I started some very hard work on myself and it's getting better every time. I'm very different now and I can get better. End quote. So he put in work. He went and sought help. Just think how rare it is for someone at the top level of their sport to seek a sports psychologist, to seek therapy, but Roman Grosjean did that. And he ended the year in seventh overall place and went into the next year being the lead driver of his team. However, his team was much weaker now. And the following year were even weaker than that. They changed engines and the car was a mess. Roman tried to overcompensate and every time he would, people would bring up the first lap nutcase comments. Every time he would try to go for a gap, people were like, oh, he's going to crash. He's going to crash. The last podium Roman appeared happened that year in 2015 in a bad car at Spa the place where his downturn started in 2012. He started the race in ninth place, but made his way up the pack until he caught up with the third place runner with five laps to go in the race. Then on the second to last lap, Sebastian Vettel's tire came apart and Roman slipped into third, got on the podium at spot, his best result at the place where his career nearly ended again. Roman cried on that last lap. It's like he finally had closure. Now, if the story ends here, it's a great story, right? It's one of redemption, and he came back, and he closed the cycle, and at the place where his career was almost killed, he got on the podium again and triumphed over the track that almost ended him. <laughs> but the story doesn't end here. Roman didn't keep his job after this year, and instead, he got let go, and he found himself at a new Formula One team, Haas. 
a team that was worse off than his old team. It was a brand new team with the smallest budget and the smallest team and no heritage whatsoever, starting from scratch. Romance had a bunch of ups and downs, to put it mildly. Romance has been racing for Haas for four years now. He's led the team and has ran high in races and crashed out too. He's had the team let him down and he's failed the team also. His highest finish in Haas has been fourth, but he's still running in Formula One. And he's actually a pretty happy, cheery dude. There's a bunch of videos of him just being happy. My favorites are the secret Santa between the drivers and in one of the years, I think it was 2017, he got a waffle maker and I swear he threw his fist up in the air like it was a Nintendo 64 circa 1996. He was so happy. Oh, a waffle maker. Amazing. Look, for Christmas. Thank you, Stoffel. Amazing. Love it. He's even been Thanks voted the chairman of the Grand Prix Drivers Association, so the respect of his peers has been earned to an extent. He's now an elder statesman in the sport, when a couple of years ago, everyone disliked him and thought he was dangerous. And this is what I like most about Roman Grosjean. He's a man who's been identified primarily by his professional failures. First, the time he was fired and lost his Formula One seat. Secondly, the first lap crashes and dangerous driving of 2012. And lastly, his bad performances with his current team at Haas. But he has persevered and endured and moved past that. He hasn't let the negativity and loud screaming voices telling him he's not good dictate his life. And in the process, he's carved out a good Formula One career. Because Roman Grosjean is one of the best car drivers in the history of the world. For starters, he's been in Formula One for 10 years now. 10. He's driven in 171 Formula One Grand Prix. That puts him 30th all-time and 5th of the current drivers. In terms of podiums, he's had 10, 10, which puts him 76th all-time and 8th among current drivers. But all of those above him have at one point driven for one of the three top teams in the sport, either Mercedes, Red Bull, and Ferrari. Even drivers who have been considered better than him in machines that are almost equal to his performance-wise or in the same ballpark, haven't achieved podiums the way he has. In fact, there's six drivers currently racing who haven't even reached one podium, and five other drivers have only done it once. And he has 10. He spent 40 laps in first place throughout his career, and 10 of the other drivers that race alongside him now haven't even done that once. He's not a bad driver. You don't stay in Formula 1 for 10 years if you're a bad driver. Roman is not that. No matter how many times people try to identify him by his failures or his shortcomings. Any way you dice it up, there's no denying that Roman's moved past his mistakes and he continues to be a meaningful race driver. Grosjean is an example that even though people don't forget, we don't have to let those mistakes define us. That we can move past it that we can get better, that we can persevere and carry on and change and improve. And that even when we do all of that and people are still jerks about it because people are still jerks to Roman online, it doesn't matter. Just let your actions speak for themselves. I love Formula One and I love Formula One stories and I love Roman Grosjean's perseverance. I hope he gets another podium, but I doubt he will. And I think he's fine with it. 
because it's not his shortcomings that define him, it's his career. And it's not our shortcomings that define us, it's that we keep getting up every day. this week's episode of the irrelevant information podcast seriously get into formula one if you have never watched it it's really fun if you want someone to watch it with you or if you have any questions about it reach out to me on twitter um so yeah if you like this show share it with a friend leave us a review on apple podcast or Podchaser. see you next time and as always or4 did nothing wrong This is the Irrelevant Podcast Network. Thanks for listening.